My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast is brought to you thanks to Rob at Weber Abrasives, the place to go in Australia for all of your abrasives, including Cubitrons, at all the best prices. Visit abrasives.on.net today to browse their range and get in touch. Yes, so uh, what have you been up to this week, Alex? A pretty busy week. Um, been playing around with a new respirator, which I did a video about. Um, that was a good video too. The interesting uh, results there, but um, it's good to have something halfway decent in the shop again. Um, I spent most of the week working on just the pommel of my sword because um, <laughs> it's got like fourteen pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's shaping up nice. I finally got it to the point where I can now start um, like etching the Damascus and inlaying the twisted wire, uh, of which there is a lot, but I think it will pay off. It's nice to actually have it mounted on the sword and feel the, the weight of it together. Uh, it's sort of like that, um, like, like Voltron, you know, the last piece <laughs> went on and it finally was cool. Um, <laughs> yep. Um so, yeah, still a fair bit of work to go, but it's the final stretch now, which is nice to finally have that project on the on the out. Um, I also did a heap of work on the ornate dagger that I'm doing, um, making the, the guard uh, and various guard spacer pieces, etc. Um, cool. And that's, that's looking pretty nice. I'm pretty happy with that, um, considering it's only my 2.5 daggers in to my dagger making experience <laughs> yep um so uh, yeah long time followers will get that joke um but it's 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 coming along pretty nice and but we've actually got the um dagger daddy has announced the 48 hour dagger challenge is coming back nice. um in just a couple of weeks i think so um, in a week it's on the 16th. Nah, 16th that'd be two weeks oh a week from releasing this episode yeah yeah, yeah. So, two weeks as of recording the episode. But, right. um, yeah, it's um, going to be exciting. And I'm probably going to have a lot of confused people wondering why I've been taking so long to make this current dagger when I'm able to pump one out in 48 hours. If you were to look at them next to each other closely, there would be some big differences. Yeah, that, <laughs> that there would be. Yeah, I'm uh, working on a couple of um, backlock folders or lockback folders if you're left-handed um, <laughs> to <laughs> to refine that skill. Um, I've been sort of going through the different uh, folding knife styles um, and getting to the point where I'm uh, happy with my output of them. Um, I've done friction folders. I, I feel very competent in my ability to make nice friction folders i've done slip joints and i feel very competent in my ability to make nice ones there but backlocks is uh is the next one on the menu so um i'm using this batch to a small batch to practice and refine the uh uh not just the the art of making them but find my style in them as well yeah so 
um, that should be interesting. So far, it's going all right. I've, I've made my templates and things, and, and uh, the all the steel parts are heat-treated. Uh, making the little springs for them has proven to be the most, uh, require the most creativity to um, uh, make them in such a way they don't impact the blade. Um, so I've, I've come up with a system that I think works. So far it's working. We <laughs> shall see. Um, tomorrow I'll find out. You will approach with great trepidation. Yes, everybody who's listening to this will have already seen um, my either successes or comical failures on Instagram. So, um, <laughs> uh, to me, recording this now, I don't know if I've succeeded yet, but it's looking good. Fingers crossed. Fair enough. Um, and I spent my day off making a heap of uh, anvil tooling and working on my uh, my portable anvil stand for my B and W anvil. Um, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, people who remember that whole saga, I wanted a setup that was able to be very quickly and easily loaded into the back of a car and driven around and set it up in different locations. So it's got to be lightweight. It's got to be easy to move and break downable. But I wanted all of the uh, all of the required tooling that I would have for most jobs to be able to actually sit on the stand itself. Yeah. So I can put all the tooling in a bag and break the stand and anvil apart and um people from that have good memories will remember uh, my coal forge that actually breaks down into a small it like <laughs> co- collapses into multiple pieces um I, I built that a while back with uh, my friend adam um so yeah it'll it's all just moving towards me being able to uh have a portable forging setup to do shows and things um and actually have a decent setup with me instead of something that's just cobbled together um but also having good hardy tooling for that anvil. It's a lovely anvil, uh, and I had bugger all tooling for it. So I made a hot card. I made uh, a new spring fuller. I made a um, uh, a bolster plate that was also uh, a um, what do you call them? There's, there's like a block hardy. Like oh, you, you mean can... an edge an edge block? Yeah, like an edge block, but uh, it, it doubles as an edge block. So I, I figured that both of those tools can actually fit into one hardy tool. Uh, so I, I made it so. Um, and I also made a nail header and just had some fun <laughs> making some forged blacksmith nails, um, which is actually quite fun, to be honest, uh, to do. It can be. It can be very frustrating. It can be super frustrating when you um, mess up the process and get a nail stuck in there. Yeah. Um, which if you don't do the steps in the right order, you will do very, very easily and you'll spend a lot longer getting a nail out than it took to make the nail. Um, <laughs> but then you, you'll watch those YouTube videos, those old black and white videos of these people that have been doing this for ages, so long that their anvil has a little sway in it from where they've been hammering nails out for every every single day for the last 70 years. Um, and they'll do it all in one heat perfectly and... You yep. just sort of you look at them and you think you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Currently, currently I've got it down to two heats to finish a nail, um, but nice. most of the time it's three. But I can do yep. it in two <laughs> if everything goes right. But so far, I've just banged out about a dozen of them just for fun. Um, they actually they work really well, um, and it's inspired me. I really like to do some uh, medieval style carpentry with you know all mm-hmm. uh forged tools like making yep. probably smaller things like like a chair or something like that but 
forge the carpentry tools, forge the nails, um, maybe even dress the timber. Who knows? It, mm. And I think I think that'd be a fun project to make, like a, a just a throne for myself for my forge or something that's all like uh, accurately made medieval style. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. cool. I reckon it'd be pretty cool. But, that was one uh, of the things I wanted to do when I was um, like exploring the Mastermere find was potentially using some of the tools that you make from the find to make the box that it goes in. That would be cool, actually. Um, although I reckon the smith that um, made that box originally probably had a, a better setup than what was found in the box. What was in there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but um, I'll tell you what, that, that square profile of the forged nails holds in wood phenomenally well. Yeah, the wedged nail works like, really well. Crazy good hole. Like, I, I put some into um, wood just to test them out when it, the first couple I made, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'm making a little collection of them. I'll pull them out, and um, <laughs> I'll put them with the others. One of them's just in there permanently now. The other one I, I nearly destroyed trying to get it out, and the other one it's just that's it. It's it's just permanently in there. Yep. No amount of monkey tooling or, or what do you call it, monkey foot, monkey paw tool could get it out. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they work really well. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, song of the week has 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 got to be a nod to um, one of my all time favorite bands. Lost one third of the band. Um, this past week and it was Dusty Hill from ZZ Top he's the bassist and one of the key writers of ZZ Top's music Um, a band that has been just absolutely rocking the whole world since the late 60s a lot of people don't realize they've been performing that long Mm. Um, and most people know them for their sort of you know upbeat rock songs but one of their most beautiful songs I honestly think is one of the greatest blues songs ever written which is a big call i'm a Mm -hmm. big blues fan and most of the greatest blues musicians um have been from that sort of you know memphis new orleans sort of area Um, but then along came zz top and they wrote and performed a song called blue jean blues Mm -hmm. which of all of the blues songs that make you feel something, that's on any on anybody's list. That's got to be up in the top five, for sure. the The lyrics talk about um, wanting to get his jeans back from an ex girlfriend, and he's talking about it like he just wants to get the jeans back. But the truth is, if he gets the jeans back, he gets to see her again, mm. and it's sort of revealed slowly through the song, um, and yeah everything about it is just syrupy and slow and and just amazing it's incredible and i I highly recommend people listen to it if all you're used to are things like lagrange and um rhythmine and legs and songs like that that are very very sort of powerful for a different reason check out blue jean blues if you haven't heard it 1975 crazy to think almost 50 years ago lifetime ago yeah yeah so how about you sam oh yeah i've been pretty busy um finally got that uh custom cutlery set for the uh lady who commissioned them from me medieval ergonomic set yeah um by the time this video goes out i'll have had i'll have the video up on my channel of the the making of um, but it was a cool little commission. It was the, it was a little bit more tricky than I originally in, 
uh, expected. Aren't they always? Uh, forging cutlery is one of those things that just, uh, it, it annoys the crap out of me, <laughs> if I'm honest, but... Um, this one was a special commission. Normally I don't do this kind of stuff, but no, I really liked it. And, uh, yeah, it was good fun. I utilized some of the mahogany that, uh, was sent to me by our wonderful friend, Brandon, um, to make the handles out of. Mm-hmm. So they turned out really nice, uh, really beautiful. And, uh, the customer seems really happy with them. So I hadn't really actually glad. heard that you got that out of customs. I'm glad to hear that, that went all right. Oh man, that was a whole fucking story. Oh, it, it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, custom, customs ended well. up charging us like four hundred and twenty bucks to get it out of customs. Really, I got mine out for free. Yeah, no, four hundred and twenty fucking dollars. It was insane. Ooh. Um, yeah, it cost it cost us more to get it out of bloody customs than it did for him to ship it in the first place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that was fun. But, um, yeah, no, that, that, that has taken up a lot of my time. I did a live stream where I made, uh, forged a new draw knife for myself out of some 1095. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have yet yep, to heat that treat that. That was a good that. stream, actually. Yeah. One of your I, better ones. One of my better ones. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's a, it's a low bar. It's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um... So I haven't managed to profile or heat treat that yet. I haven't had a lot of time in the shop uh, because I've been focusing on getting these um, this cutlery done and sourcing materials to build a new chicken coop for the new chickens we're going to be getting soon. Cool, cool. Um, Good to hear build, you're getting some more. Yeah, fabricating it out of steel. So, um, you know, it's, it's a heavy-duty project. Yeah, uh, I'll be building one soon as well. Nice. Yeah, chickens are awesome. They are. I mean, people that you once you become a chicken person, that's it. Yeah, like your life's trajectory has changed now. <laughs> that's it. I um I did finish the hammer for Francesco, uh, our friend. Mm, looks good. Uh, and that's that. Uh, I shipped that off today as we're recording um, to him, and I'm looking forward to hearing his review of it. He's excited to get it, apparently. So uh, as I'm well, keen he to should s- be. Keen to see what he gets up to with it. And, uh, I was pretty happy with how it came out, so hopefully he'll be happy with it. Oh, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much everything I can think of right now. I'm I'm just I'm trying to gear up to do the work on the sword, but I keep you know <laughs> freaking out about it and <laughs> going. Nah, I'll do it later. Hashtag keep up, Sam. Yeah, well, you know, the Alex is going to be way like you know the the heat death of the universe is going to come about before that sword is bloody finished at this point. <laughs> I'll get there. Anyway, my uh, song of the week isn't really a song; it's a piece of music. Um, and I've found myself uh, pretty lethargic the last few days, like uh, trying, like pushing myself to try and get some energy going, and. Um, <laughs> in the interest of, of getting some energy going, I decided to go back to some uh, some of my favorite music from video games, uh, and specifically uh, 2016's Doom. Yeah. Uh, BFG Division. Uh, right. it, it is one of the most, like, hardcore, like, <laughs> head-banging kind of metal I thought you were going to say, like, the, the, the Halo music. Oh no, no! I mean, the Halo, the Halo intro is awesome. 
Uh, and, like, most Halo music's pretty good, but no, this is, like, pretty up up there with uh, energy. I, I really loved... Um, I got a chance to play some of a friend of mine's place, and um, the soundtrack in 2016's Doom, uh, the more carnage you create, the louder the music gets. Yeah. Uh, I've actually so, been playing it recently. Or oh, re- nice. Re- replaying it. Yeah, and it, it's just, like... You the more you do it, like the the louder it gets, the more you want it. <laughs> it's great. So um, yeah, no, I I I'd been listening to the soundtrack just in the background, just trying to keep myself energized, pumped, rip and tear until it's done. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, figured I'd add it to the playlist. It's by Mike Gordon. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's the one who wrote the audio. But uh, yeah, there you go gotten some uh, just some game music added to the the myriad of genres that we have metal game music yeah (laughs) i thought we were about to have like a serendipity moment because my music choice uh was actually going to be just a piece of music that has no lyrics as well um until the tragical loss of dusty hill happened um and i changed it uh it was actually going to be um beethoven's um moonlight sonata Oh, nice. Yeah. Maybe next week. Maybe. Maybe not. I probably won't listen to it then. I, 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 was, on a, I was on a bit of a classical bent. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, next one's got to be Skyrim Taffin music. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Beware, beware, the dragonborn comes. <laughs> All right, emails. Yes. So our first one comes from, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, Sean Lacey, Lucy. I, I, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> uh, he says, hey guys, your last email about the rapier got me thinking. I'm a farrier in the US and the majority of my forging is on the horn and I rarely forge in the straight. I have to get the horseshoes flat, but there's always a curve in my forging. I'm pretty proficient on the power hammer for forging straight lines, but on the anvil, it's definitely a weak point. Any pointers or tips? Thanks. Hmm. Tip tip one, don't forge on the horn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to forge flat stuff, don't forge on the horn. <laughs> um, yeah, you can actually, uh, depending on the style of anvil you have, it's going to change whereabouts you use it. But normally the face of an anvil has a, uh, a long dimension and a short dimension. Uh, actually start to train yourself to kink out your arm um, and hold the stock along the anvil face. You can get long straights uh, very easily that way. Yeah. I, the, the thing for me is, like, I, I make it ugly before I make it pretty, so in a lot of my forging, the blade will be bendy and fucking twisted and warped and all kinds of crazy stuff while I'm forging out my profile and bevels and stuff like that. I very rarely keep it perfectly straight at any time until the end. Mm. Um, and then during the, the final straightening processes, I'm normally using very low heats and just correcting, you know, blow by blow looking for the high points and knocking those high points down. Um, I did do a straightening how-to in my How to Forge a Full Tang Knife on my YouTube channel, which goes into, like, directing hammer blows to correct twists. Mm. Um, But, yeah, when you're forging, like, flat is a relative term. You could use a flatter uh, if you want to make it, like, really, really flat. But most of the time you're looking more for straight... 
than flat and straightness is all relative to like the parent material you can have something that's straight but lumpy as hell as long as you've got enough material to grind through it to create your straight edge you're fine one thing you can do is focus on forging it clean um Mm -hmm. and then once you've got it clean you can actually use a wooden baton to um and low heats to tune something back into straight now, the yep. wooden baton won't actually uh, dimple or mar your work at all. So if you've forged it nice and clean and your surfaces are nice and clean, but it's, say, wobbly and bendy, you can then uh, use sort of low sort of red heats and a wooden bat to move the steel in small increments without actually affecting its surface. Yeah. So hopefully that helps, Sean. And I apologize about your name. Yeah. Thanks for sending the message in. Next email comes from Mark DeGeorge. Uh, he says, Hello, I've emailed you in the past and have another quick question regarding Scotch-Brite belts. I am a blacksmith and some parts of the pieces I make I bring to a high shine with belts up to 5,000 grit. Oh, I've never even seen belts at 5,000 grit. Mm, I think the highest I've seen is 3,000, so... Yeah, right. He says, I have never used the Scotch-Brite belts. How would they make any difference? Just to clarify, I'm using a 2x72 grinder. I use the slack of the higher grit belts to accent the high points on some of the pieces I make. So basically, I'm just curious if adding the Scotch-Brite belts to the mix would do anything or if substituting them in at times would give different results. Thank you again for taking the time to do this show. You guys truly are the number one blacksmithing slash knife making podcast out there. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Well, Scotch-Brite belts, even the the finest one, because they come in different grades. I think there's five different grades or four? Uh, f- I work four. with four, but I get the feeling there's a fifth one that I've not used. It's red, green, gray, and white. Isn't there a blue? I haven't seen a blue. Maybe there is a blue. There is a small number of grits, <laughs> yeah, but they're not really quite grits. But what, what you will get, even on the finest, smoothest one, is you will get a satin finish. It's not mm. going to be anything like a polishing effect like you would be getting with 5,000 grit belts. Um, now, satin with mirrored accents can look quite nice if done right. However, if you're going to be putting a 5,000 grit finish on your mirror accents, I think a Scotch-Brite satin finish would look dodgy. Yeah. The other, the other thing, the other problem that Scotch-Brite belts have for doing, like, small facet finishing, like, belts will give you a clean, flat facet, whereas Scotch-Brite belts tend to round everything out. They, they tend to they smooth blend. everything over. Yeah. Yeah. I use Scotch-Brite belts almost, like, I, I never touch them to blades, but I almost universally use them for hammers, uh, for, like, hammer faces and stuff like that, because I want smooth edges, I want round surfaces. Um, so, like, if you want to get around, like, radii and stuff like that, they're really good for that. Uh, if you want there to be smooth transitions, it's good, but if you want, like hard high points where you've got like really reflective surfaces your belts are going to do better than scotch bright yeah so hopefully that helps clarify the use of scotch bright belts they're, they're one of the favorite things that i have in my shop and scotch bright wheels on the on the uh, mm. bench grinders they're just they're handy to have um but, they are incredibly useful yeah but are they really they only get used for blending and satining um 
when you when you when you don't need a perfect satin, they're really good for that. <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> if you're I, feeling if lazy, I'm, if I'm wanting to, uh, like a, a dirty mirror finish and I don't want to have to spend time hand sanding, I'll just go through the grits of Scotch Brite and then to a buffing wheel. And yeah. after white, after white Scotch Brite, uh, a green rouge on a on a buffing wheel will normally take it to a pretty good mirror mm. or a usable mirror for like hammer faces and stuff like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes and our final email for the week goes to jason hostetler he says hi guys love the podcast it is the highlight of my friday oh thank you excellent he says my first question is about ceramic knives uh, my son has one from his days in the army and it has some chipping on the edge and he was going to throw it out I have read that you can't put a lot of pressure on them when sharpening uh, it, but is there any other tips you could give me about the subject? My other question is about forge fuel. I am buying a house and there is a natural gas line coming into the house. I was wondering if it could be used in a forge. I wasn't sure if I would need a special burner or if it needed a special design. I talked to the gas company guy and he said it doesn't burn quite as hot as propane, but it is a lot cheaper. Just interested in your opinion on the subject. I'm getting excited as when I get moved into the new house, I will be able to set up my shop and start forging. You two are keeping my fire burning through the time I've been without a shop. Thanks for your time, Jason. Cheers, Jason. All right, so what do you want to tackle first? Well, let's let's tackle the first one, because I know your favorite buddy did a video on this, actually. Which is my favorite buddy? Outdoors 55. <laughs> the sharpening guru. <laughs> my favoritest of buddies. Uh, I actually recognize the knife. Jason actually sent a photo of the knife, uh, yep. and me being a, a nerd. Uh, I recognize it's a It's a Boca Delta. Right. Um, and... They are those um, that compress zirconium dioxide yeah, yeah. Uh, blade, and they they do chip. Kind of like the Kairosero ones. Yeah, it's harder than it, it is harder than most steels, but it, it tends to chip if it gets uh, impacts or hits other hard surfaces and things. It chips much more readily than steel does. Yeah, especially if you twist on the edge. Like if you if you twist at all on the edge of a of a ceramic knife, goodbye. The good thing is though, you can. Um, grind it pretty easily to be honest even aluminium oxide abrasives will do it but really the the preferred thing is anything that's diamond coated um, mm. like diamond stones do really well on it um, but if you want to actually uh, sort of uh, redo the edge and make it last a bit longer um, I would avoid doing like a V micro bevel on them I'd do the old mouse pad trick yeah you, you know, the, uh, Basically, you get like a mouse pad that's got that um, soft under, but that filmy, plasticky top to it, and you put sandpaper on top of it, and you use that, and it gives you a convex edge, which will give you more resistance to chip out um, yep. on something as brittle as a ceramic. Yeah, um, Outdoors55 did a video on it, uh, which I highly suggest you watch, because it's really interesting, but he tried a bunch of different ceramic knives, chipped them out on purpose... And he could never get them back to, like, the sharpness that they were out of the factory. Mm. Uh, he The only success he had was with uh, MDF uh, sharpening wheels on a bench grinder. Oh, yeah, the old art of weapons trick. Polishing paste, yeah. Um, basically, uh, paper wheels. The, you know, um, paper sharpening wheels that you can buy from 
like knife making supplies. But um, yeah, those were the only ones that really got any substantial good result out of the edge. Most of the other methods would remove material, but they wouldn't create an edge. And it's really hard to apex um, <laughs> ceramic because it doesn't create a burr. Mm. So you, you're never really sure where, you, where you're at. Um, the reason I watched Outdoors 55 is because I actually had to sharpen a ceramic knife and I, I gave up. Like, I, it was a Kyocera from, uh, you know, one of the local bloody kitchen warehouse stores. And after sharpening through the, the, um, the chips, I just could not get it to be decently sharp, like what I would get a normal kitchen knife to be. Uh, but I got it to the point where it would cut stuff, kinda. Interesting. I've done I it really before, don't. and it, it, it didn't have too much problem, although the, the chip out that I had to fix on mine was fairly minor, so it might have been yeah. the problem. No, this one was pretty chunky. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't like ceramic knives at the best of times, but... <laughs> Most serious knife guys don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as for the natural gas, um, Alex Steele ran into this, actually, uh, in his... Mm. I think it's in his Montana shop, wasn't it? Um, And the the short answer is, yeah, it burns a lot cooler than propane does. So you've got to introduce more air into the mix to actually get it to burn hot enough. Uh, But even then, there's going to be limitations on just how hot it can get. So that's going to be limitations on the size of the forge that you can use. Yeah, the other one is uh, depends on how high a pressure is supplied to the building. Yeah, because some some uh, I know some townships uh, actually regulate at the gas off. node. They, <laughs> they they regulate at the gas node, so the maximum pressure you can get out of the line is like you know four psi, mm-hmm. um, which is not enough for most forges unless you're using a really large orifice and some forced air. Yeah. Um, one so thing, yeah, one way you could yeah. get around that would be to. Um, do more with less uh like a post box forge for example you can usually get better heats with smaller internal volumes um and if your refractory setup's good enough and you actually you'd probably want to have forced air set up with the burner um but it's i I think it could be doable but like sam said um you're going to be limited in a the maximum temperature you can get out of it in the first place and b whether or not they're doing any uh localized regulation that's just going to cap you um, there's yeah. r- really no way around that, unfortunately, unless you want to build a secondary pressure system. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I um, actually, th- if I was going to go ch- the cheaper route, I'd actually go for a, uh, a diesel burner um, forge. Um, I know my friend Peter uh, Peter Burt, who we've had on the show before, has made a diesel burner um, diesel burner furnace for his woots melting. Hmm. And uh, I've got a couple of friends who make uh, waste oil burners and have I've, s- I've seen the waste oil burners. waste oil burners yeah. as forges. Some of the temperatures they get out of those is insane. Yeah, exactly. Like you can use propane to get it started. You have to use propane to get it started up to heat. But then once you switch over to waste oil, it, because it's so uh, a high calorie, you know, for the density you get a lot of heat out of not a lot of material out of not a lot of fuel. So, um, it is something that I have looked at. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to stick with LPG for now, but (laughs) one thing you can do is if you, if you are wanting to just stick with LPG, but you're trying to get your prices down is to just design a more thermally efficient forge, um, Hmm. that is only as big as you need it to be. Um, those two factors can bring your, your, 
air use, uh, your gas usage right down. Or have a forced air ribbon burner. You'll get insane temperatures on such little gas usage. I mean, you yeah. can have a, a quite a decent size ribbon burner, forced air ribbon burner forge running on like one PSI, getting forge welding temperatures. And for those of us in the city where, you know, like you buy, you're normally buying uh, exchanges rather than refills, unless you've got a local refill like I do, um, the cheaper way to refill gas is to get, uh, is to find yourself a, a um, uh, forklift tank, which can be filled at a, at a petrol station um, and just get the adapters for your, uh, for your regulators and stuff like that, because then you can just take it to your local petrol station and pay gas prices rather than paying for an exchange yeah. because they normally charge you like a 50% freaking markup on, <laughs> on cylinder exchanges. That's true. Yeah. I thought about going that way before I found out that I had a local, um, refueling place that only charged for the price of the gas. I've got my two giant, uh, 200 liter propane tanks. Um, but yeah. The getting them anywhere, like empty, they weigh seventy five <laughs> kilos each. Yep. It's insane. So um, getting them off the truck when they're full, <laughs> yeah. no, not gonna happen. I've, I like my little tanks. I do want to get some big tanks for the fixed forges, but yeah, the little tanks are gonna stay for a while. Yeah, because they're easier to stow. <laughs> I I did have uh, one, and then I decided, you know what, stuff it. I'm gonna buy a second one so that I can do the the hot swap. At, at home mm-hmm. you know when when one runs out i don't have to stop my work i can just keep going and then replace it and the day after i did that somebody came by and said oh i don't need this nine liter bottle anymore do you want it so now i've got three <laughs> always the way because getting a new one of those here is like 60 bucks to to go and oh, buy yeah. a new full bottle yeah crazy oh uh, i uh, that just reminded me i did bite the bullet and buy myself some horton's k oh finally yeah, some high speed makes a nice so, difference. Yeah, it's on. It's on the way. All oh, right, you haven't used it yet. Oh no, it's it's still in the mail. I'm I'm expecting it this week. Right, you're not going to know yourself. You're going to quench things and not smell like a Chinese restaurant. No, um, I'm kind of. I'm you know. I'm I'm kind of sad about that. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> Drop a little right. bit gonna... of soy sauce into the quench tank, and it just completes the experience. <laughs> I'm going to keep my rice bran in one. I'm going to build an entirely separate quench tank for the Horton's K. All right. So inspirations of the week, Sam. Who's been inspiring you? Well, so um, my inspiration of the week is a very recent inspiration. Um, I only discovered him uh, via yourself uh, about like five minutes ago. Um, (laughs) With good reason. Before we started the show. Yeah, no, um, like, honestly, I, I'm always surprised that I don't know about these people before I find them, and then I'm like, how the fuck did I not know this person existed? Um, and the, for the specific reason that Alex uh, pointed me in this person's direction is because they recently did an Anglo-Saxon-inspired uh, sword um, based off a couple of finds um, in England. And the hilt construction is insane. Like, mm-hmm. it's insanely good. Anglo-Saxon hilt constructions are always a little bit insane, especially if you look at the ring hilts and stuff. Yeah. Um, or like the Sutton Who sword. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're, they're perfect examples of Anglo-Saxon kind of... They're, they're so extra, is, is <laughs> basically the rule. 
Uh, and yeah, he did all of the traditional gar- uh, garnet inlay and, um, you know, goat leather scabbard, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's a multi-bar construction, like all Anglo-Saxon swords were. They were kind of the... Uh, they weren't really the precursors, they were around at the same time as the Viking sword, but the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons tended to kind of trade notes on swords, so you'll notice a lot of similarities. Uh, and this person is Pitstone Forge. Yeah. Um, they are criminally underfollowed on Instagram. It's Pitstone Forge, all one word, P-I-T-S-T-O-N-E, Forge. Uh, and he's only got 304 followers. That's yeah, just for, for criminal. the quality and, and sane goodness of work, it just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that I'm a little bit of a history of file. Uh, I really like my history. Really? And, uh, you know, it may surprise you. <laughs> um, but he does some really nice historical work. Some historical inspired work and some direct historical, like, um, recreations. Um... And yeah, no, he's just doing some stellar stuff. I love his kitchen knives as well, but he does a lot of work in pattern welding, uh, specifically a lot of Viking pattern welding recently with multi-bar blades, which is something I haven't really practiced too much of. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, he just, he does some stunning handle work, which is something I'm always, you know, like I'm hard up against. I'm never, uh, (laughs) I've never been very good with my handles. And he does some pretty stunning work. So yeah, go over and check Pitstone Forge for us and let him know that the Forgecast sent you. Who's been inspiring you on the other hand, Alex? I've been continuing my journey down the rabbit hole of these um, obscure French knife makers. Um, And I found one a while back that every so often when I I just sort of need a bit of a kick again, I, I, I look at this guy's knives. He's got this unique... Um, he does folding knives, but he is, I, I believe he's come up with it, his own mechanism for opening and closing them. Um, and we've talked in the past about the, um, amazing guy that does the music box winding one. This mm-hmm. one had a physical effect on me when I saw the video of this mechanism working. It looks like, uh, the, remember the old, like the, in the eighties, they had the suitcase latches, you do you yep. roll, roll the the uh, combination lock and then you pre- <laughs> press the button and they click open. Um, yep. It looks like one of those attached to the side of the folding knife, but to open it, you um, lift the the latch up, open the knife, and then the latch closes itself mechanically with a perfect little snap and repositions itself. And to close the knife, you do the same thing. You lift it up with your thumb. And it stays open on its own. You start closing the knife. And as soon as you close it, as soon as it clicks closed, whoosh, mm-hmm. with perfect mechanical precision, this latch snaps down again. And as somebody who has been obsessing over folding knives lately, watching this play out in video form, you look at it and it's kind of like, that's weird to have a latch like that on the side of a knife. And then you see it fire. You see it activate. Mm-hmm. And it just gives me the it, it gives me the willies. I like it so much. It's just so pleasing to watch the precision mm. with which this is made. And even that aside, they're beautiful knives. He's he's very good at what he does. His name is Guillaume Ducasse, and um, his 
Instagram handle is just Guillaume de Cast Knives, all one word. Now, for people who are not familiar with French names, Guillaume is spelled <laughs> a little different to what you might expect. Uh, it's G U I L L A U M E D U C A S S E Knives. It's a long one, but it's worth looking at his page. Also, criminally underfollowed at mm. 1800 followers on instagram this guy goes straight to the video posts on his instagram so you can see this mechanism work because it will like he hasn't got any posts that actually show the internal workings of it or anything but it is no it's a it's a push pin lock it, it it's the actual what holds the knife in place yes yeah it's a pushpin lock it's um yeah very but, traditional but, but his is very well executed this is what i'm saying the execution of it is very unique and it's the the that self-actuation and the precision with and cleanliness with which it it performs that self-actuation is what has been inspiring me because mm. it's mind-blowing the cleanliness of that snap i sent it to sam the first time i saw it and he's like why would you send that to me i hate myself (laughs) (laughs) yes pretty much um and i understand because it's it's just that good and he's got like a cool um aesthetic almost um like a cross between art deco and uh 50s sci-fi yeah, um, it is in, very in aesthetic. Very unique. He also really has nailed the art of um oh, I just watched it again, I'm sorry. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's nailed the art of the what we've talked about multiple times in the show of selective use of mirrored facets. Yeah. To achieve no, that noticed. visual appeal. I'm going back through a lot of his posts and yeah, he just he has that real sense of uh contrast with various textures and he understands that that role that light plays as it shimmers over something as you rotate it and change the angle the way the light will flow from one place to another um and Mm. capturing that light flow it's 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 an incredible attention to detail um and yeah it's just it's it's breathtaking stuff and it's the sort of thing that i i could spend my whole life trying to perfect the art of folding knives and I might be lucky enough to achieve a tenth of what this guy is able to do. Mm. Um, just absolutely breathtaking work. So check him out, Guillaume de Cast Knives, on Instagram. Which, of course, brings us in to Tool Time. Tool Time! And Tool Time this week comes flying at you thanks to the team at Nordic Edge. Make sure to visit nordicedge.com.au straight after the show to stock up on all of their knife-making goodies. And this week we are talking about something that was sent to me. I don't know if he sent any to you, but it was sent to me by Brandon Snip. Snip? Snipe? I've never actually heard heard him (laughs) like vocalize it. I've just seen it written. I, I did exactly the same thing in my thank you video to him when I got the package. <laughs> we've both we've both talked to him on video, but it's never come up. No, nah. like yeah, like he hears my surname at the end of every show. Like, 
but anyway, Brandon sent us scalloped belts, and um, it was actually my first time using scalloped belts. I was aware of their function and what what they're used for, but had never actually gotten to use them. I love them. Yeah, they're fantastic. And not only did he send me scalloped, scalloped belts, he sent me one-inch scalloped belts, which, when you are making nice handle shapes, is a dream. Yeah, I, I would recommend one-inch scalloped belts rather than two-inch, uh, even on a 2x72, because being able to... Like, the whole idea of scalloped belts is to get inside curves without cutting in like you do with standard straight edge belts well this is the thing i mean on and um, anybody that's done a, a bit of a boo-boo on their project knows just how aggressive the edges of a belt are compared to the face yeah. like the edge of a belt will cut like a knife that is able to slice steel <laughs> and it will yeah. do it in a second in an instant in a moment the worst, the worst kind of paper cut <laughs> yeah it'll do you it'll do it in your hand it'll do it in the the face of a bevel that you've just spent the last 10 minutes perfecting it will do it in a heartbeat and ruin your project a scalloped belt however will not do that it's got no. soft fluffy edges the transition from belt to not belt is uh, blurred essentially yeah and because of that you can actually uh, grind around curves in handles and get into tight spaces on the slack and you'll be able to do so with the confidence of somebody who knows that the edge of the belt is not going to leave gouges in the work yeah um from from what i've understood what i understand of them and and the amount of times that i've used them you only use them on slack belt you never use them against a backer mm. because they're they're designed to curve around things that uh, they're designed to match the curve of the thing you're grinding. Um, and you're normally not using them on metal because they're normally not designed. They're normally in the higher grits, you know. The, I think the lowest grit I've ever had of one was 120 grit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And you, they're you usually allox too, as well. Yeah. So, you tend to use them in, in places like handles, uh, and they are fantastic for that, especially highly figured handles yeah absolutely so um if you have seen them and wondered why you would ever use that give some a try um they're usually uh if they're they're not that expensive usually because they are often allox and they are often one inch um Mm -hmm. so compared to something like a a full two inch wide ceramic belt that you probably find them to be quite reasonably priced uh, but they are a handy, handy thing. And we've had people ask about um, like handle shaping and that before with their questions. So um, definitely something if you are looking to up your handle shaping game. Indeed. Which brings us into our topic of the week, which is actually inspired by a previous, a two-time previous guest on the show. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and, and should be a three-time because it's been a while since we've had him on. I mean, we, we could technically call him a three-time guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we could. We could. Um, Roy Adams, we, we've had him on the show three times, and you guys have only heard him twice. <laughs> because one of the times he wasn't recording. <laughs> yes, we, we had some technical difficulties. <laughs> Which is really funny, because if you listen back to that second episode, it seems really, like, staged. 
Yeah, a little, little stilted like we've already had these conversations. <laughs> it's, it's because we had. <laughs> so, uh, but no, he did a video recently that actually got me thinking quite a bit and that got Sam thinking quite a bit. And, um, and it was about forged snobbery, which is something that I honestly, I agree with Roy, we're all guilty of or have been guilty of at some point and probably will be guilty of in the future. Um, oh, 100%. And it was quite uh, poignant for me because about 10 minutes after watching his video, I was a victim of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a victim of quite ardent forged snobbery. Yeah, I know. I, 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 it's kind of like um, when somebody comes at me and tries to gatekeep, it's kind of like, really? Do you, have you, yeah. do, do you know who I am? <laughs> you didn't do your research. You've been you? following me very long. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't like... it. No, oh, never mind. Yeah. Now uh, that that specific event's an argument for a different time, um, yeah. But no, what he, what he pointed out was the um, what's the, the 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 commonality in every field, but blacksmithing and and knife making, um, it's it's very prominent in is people saying this is the way that it should be done, and if you're doing it this way, you're doing it wrong. Uh, for various things uh, his own personal experience was that he used to mock people who used plasma cutters to do uh, to cut out blanks rather than doing it themselves because he would put in the hours and sit by a jigsaw uh, no jigsaw <laughs> a, ba- a bandsaw and cut everything out by hand like a real maker um, mm-hmm. and now he has a plasma cutter um, and he understands the like that is a sucky job to sit there by a bandsaw all day cutting out blanks when a machine could do it for him um, and he gets paid the same regardless so yep um yeah that, that nothing like getting hit with the humble stick uh, time makes fools of us all in that regard but um yeah i mean everybody's done it at some point they've thought that somebody you know even if they've just thought it in their own head scoffed at somebody for doing something <laughs> you know what they see as the wrong way or not the pure way um and that what I want to talk about was a thing that Roy brings up in his video, which he touches on but doesn't particularly go into, is how far do you really go with that? And yeah. it, it is a very good point. Um, and I brought up in my own experience, like people who believe that somebody's not a real blacksmith if they use a power hammer, for example. Well, to be honest... How far back do you want to go with it? Are you going to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, real blacksmiths don't need a striker? Back in the real day, it was just one guy doing it with one hammer. Re- real blacksmiths don't use bars of steel. They smelt their own bloomery from That's ore right. they dug with their own hands. What's that modern clothing you're wearing? <laughs> I'm going to do it in a loincloth. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's like using anvils, you modern kids today. I used <laughs> yeah. a rock. A rock was my hammer, a rock was my anvil. <laughs> and I was hitting other rocks. Yeah, that's it. Um, but it, it's, whatever it is, I mean, looking down on somebody else's craft because they're not doing it the way you believe it should be done is snobbery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it go, it flies in the face of the reason why we're doing this in the first place. It is an art form. We are doing it to express ourselves. And this, this is something that I wanted to touch on, is that these arguments wouldn't have existed back when blacksmithing was an industry, like when it was yes. an actual trade, you know, because 
in the trades, normally you don't see a lot of arguments between carpenters like, oh, you use a power saw, I use a handsaw. <laughs> because everyone turns around and goes, so you're making less money than I am then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, try you know, being like, a tradie and turning up on the job site with like a, a, a bit and brace. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, you know, like back when there was a trade, the blacksmiths would use whatever the f- they had to hand to make the job easier and faster. Because it was a job. The the moment it became an art form, that's when it opened the door to these arguments. And you see people in all art forms having these arguments. You know, you're not a real painter if you use pastels. You're only a real painter if you use oil paints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's it's all just bullshit snobbery at the end of the day. <laughs> if, you, if you were to suddenly teleport yourself back to the year 1066, dodge the Battle of Hastings, go into a castle and teleport them a power hammer and a power source, the blacksmith there would say, are you fucking shitting me? Give me that thing right now. <laughs> exactly. My shoulders are killing me. This thing is great. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, You, if you were to go even back to the 1820s and like you know, step into a, uh, a grinding mill and just hand them a two by 72 grinder mm-hmm. <laughs> and a power source. They would be like, I don't have to lie down over this 18 foot wide fucking, um, rotary stone wheel. <laughs> and awesome. that's, that's, that's a valid point too. Like how many of you raise your hand? I can't see you. So it's an honor based system. Raise your hand. If you lie down while you use your two by 72, no, that's because the 2x72 grinds metal extremely fast. Back in the day, <laughs> it took a long time on one of those giant big wheels, so much so that if you were to stand on it all day, you would develop a horrendous spine problem within the first couple of months of working there. So people would literally lie down over the wheel. There are some amazing photos and even YouTube videos of this process happening just because of how slow the process was. They actually had pet dogs that would keep them warm because they get constantly splashed with water. So they'd have dogs trained to lie down on their backs to keep them warm. And the average life expectancy was pretty low because you were constantly breathing um, random slurry getting kicked up by the wheel. That's right. They needed a respirator. They should have watched my recent video. <laughs> but yeah, the the thing is, the, the argument that any technological advance somehow makes you less of an artisan is bullshit. You and know, I, can back see, in- the, I can see the psychology of it. I can see it that uh, you know, older people, for example, will think, well, I had to do it this way. I didn't have these modern conveniences. And so uh, it's coming from a place of envy. Like, you should learn to do it the hard way first. Um, hmm. But the fact is, the world, the human race has been advancing continuously since we first learned that we can bang two rocks together. And we've just been doing advancements on a weekly basis. You yourself, if you are thinking that, that kids today, blah, 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 you yourself would have been looked at by your parents in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ad infinitum. In, in some cases, it comes down to, like, personal preference. Like, I know smiths uh, who I take great inspiration from who use nothing but hand tools, nothing but materials that they've sourced themselves to create their work. Mm. But they don't tell everyone else that they're less than for <laughs> not doing that. They, they do just it simply for the nerd say, factor. 
yeah, this is what I want to do. This is this is how I express myself in my craft, and that's what we're doing. We're doing. We're expressing ourselves through steel, yeah. um, because it's an art. It is an art form. And I've had this. We've had this argument a number of times. <laughs> I've done a video on it. I've done all kinds of stuff on it, because yes, we are artists, not like tradesmen anymore. And we have talked about on this show um, the importance of learning to be able to do without in those rare occasions where um, power goes out or you run out of gas or um, maybe you need to uh, heat treat a sword and your forge isn't big enough and things like that. You need to be able to know how in order to be able to keep on rolling. Let's just say you're relying on your craft for your income, for example. We've talked about the importance of that, but no way have we uh, insinuated that you need to be able to do that before you're allowed to move on to using, you know, more modern tools. No, and like, you know, when we talk about people getting started in the craft and we recommend starting small and using, you know, like charcoal forges and a piece of railway track, that's less about we don't want you to start with, you know, a 20 ton forging press because, you know, like you're not up to you that might, level yet. You, it's You might not like it. Yeah, you might you might get sick of it real fast and not want to do it. So you don't want to spend 10 grand on forging equipment that you're not going to use. Mm. Um, but yeah, like if, if you're getting into this, even as a hobbyist and you feel like you want to move big pieces of material and you know that you can't do that with a striker, then go for a power hammer. If you can afford it, do it. And I'm it's, gonna stop you. It, it seems to be quite prevalent in um, a lot of areas, like how um, how a technique is done, or or the shape of a blade, or uh, the finish that's on steel, or the wood choice that you've used, and things like that. People are always putting their oar in and saying you're doing it wrong in some way. And the fact is, the first thing you should be asking a person is, "Did you enjoy yourself? Are you having mm-hmm. fun? Are, are you?" Are you getting what you need out of this craft? If the, the, not everybody wants to pursue mastery, no. And I mean, like when it comes down to it, uh, some forms of snobbery that I've seen. Uh, you were talking about forging nails. Uh, yeah. Where back when I forged nails a few times when I made that in a Viking nail header, I had a few comments of people going, "You didn't forge it in one heat, so therefore you're not, you know, good." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like. I'm just making nails, dude. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not trying to make nails for a living here. Yeah, you know, like oh, the You're old not getting masters paid by the nail. <laughs> yeah, the old masters used to make you know make a nail a heat, but like that doesn't matter. Exactly. I'm not an old master, and I'm not making a thousand nails a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, at the end of the day, if it takes you six heats to make a nail, who cares? You're making nails. You're not going to be making nails to make a living these days because they punch them out so fast that you would never be able to compete. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we forge nails because it's cool. We want to make, you know, 50 nails or so and then make a box or make a chair or whatever. It's fascinating to have a connection to a, such an integral part of history that you can do in exactly the same way it was done a thousand years ago yeah. in your backyard. And they still work. Yeah. That's cool. And there are, there are smiths out there who will tell you, oh, you need to have your your tip on your blade forged in one heat, and then you need to forge your plunge cut in one heat, and then, you know, you need to forge the rest of your bells in one heat. I'm like, bullshit. You need to forge them as quickly as you are capable of getting a decent result. 
Yeah, and have fun. Yeah. And if you're selling like, it, test it thoroughly. If you know, I'd rather not kill myself trying to achieve some fucking mythological time period for uh, for forging, and I'd much rather come out with a piece that I can actually use. Because <laughs> mm. when I rush, that's when I screw up. Well, that's it. And to become one of the old masters that's hammering out nails in one heat, for example, you know, it, it comes with free lung cancer, which is, yeah. you know, great because that's what you need to do because those old masters spent, you know, years and years of their life doing nothing but that for 12 hours a day, getting yep, paid, six days a week. getting paid squat all with no, no health care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can learn to do anything very quickly if you do it enough. So, mm-hmm. but I yeah, mean, and if you if you want to gain proficiency, like, and and this is the thing, if you want to gain proficiency like that, if you want to become a guy who can make a, a nail in a, in one heat, cool, right? Like, I hats off to you. I thought about you know practicing enough that I could get there myself, but it's not something I need to do. I don't have an issue with you doing that, and I will respect you for that. The moment I lose respect for you is when you turn around and tell people that they are, like, worse off than you or somehow not as good as you for not being able to forge a nail in a heat. And it's usually people saying that are people who have never actually owned a forge. Yeah. They've just watched some YouTube videos. I saw Forged in Fire once. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it it, it really... um, it can turn into a, a very toxic thing if left unchecked. And reality is, um, like we said earlier, this is this is an art form, and any craft is an art form. And the fact is, while this snobbery is terrible, we're all guilty. I know I'm guilty of it sometimes. You well, don't always. No, we're not the type of people that vocalise it, at least not often. Um, no, but. Oftentimes, like I, I look back on things from just like a year ago, and I cringe, um, and I think, "Whoa, I'm glad I've grown since then." Um, no, I but, look at the stuff I made last week. <laughs> no, I'm not so talking about stuff I've made. I'm things I said or, or thought uh, yeah. or know that I, I used to think and things like that. And but the thing is, what that's called is being human. That's just and part growth. of that's part of the human condition. And the fact that if you are looking back at something that you used to think that you don't anymore and you cringe, that's good. It's good that you cringe because that means you've grown. Um mm. and sometimes when somebody is being a snob to you, you've got to realize they just haven't grown yet. Yep. And some <laughs> may people, never will. Some people may never grow. You need to accept yeah. that. But the fact is don't let them get you down. A piece of uh, advice that I would have loved to have uh, relayed to Roy because he seemed very frustrated about things that he'd witnessed, um, mm-hmm. snobbery that he's witnessed. But um, a piece of advice that actually my my pop taught me, he said to uh, never listen to the opinions of people that you would not go to for advice. Yes, and so I, I've always I've always had that stick in the back of my head. Yeah, it's a really good piece of advice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Hopefully that yeah. helps other people as well, as much as it's helped me. Yes, we we, want to, we wanted to, to vent a little bit on... Because it is, it is a frustration in the community. If you've been in this community for any amount of time, you will have come across it, and mm. you too will be frustrated. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't yet, just wait. Oh, yeah. 
Give it, give it time. Give it time. Or hit the forums. It'll be faster that way. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I won't. I won't name the forums, but there's a couple that spring to mind. Oh, I definitely know <laughs> of one. <laughs> yes. But yeah. Um. So yeah. The the thing is, at the end of the day, we're all on separate journeys in the same craft. The the method by which we get to a certain location doesn't really matter as long as it works. Yeah. There are a million ways to skin a cat. And if you love the way you're doing things, fucking do it that way, please. Yeah. Enjoyment's everything, really, because that's how great art is created. It's, yeah. it's, it's literally turning suffering into joy. Exactly. Just like how pigs turn slops into bacon. <laughs> yep. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's time, Sam. It's time, it's time for a, time for a new Forgecast challenge. Oh dear! And this one's a sponsored one. Ooh! Mmm. Ryan at Otway, like it. Ryan at Otway like Fiddleback it. is going to be giving a fifty dollar voucher to whoever wins this competition. And I have thought long and hard, long and hard, Sam, about <laughs> what it should be. That's what she said. And I've, I've, <laughs> and I've come up with a good one. Excellent. This is going to be a bit more of a challenge than we, we have done in the past, but very much within the realms of doable. And I want to see that amazing spirit that we've seen on some recent Forgecast challenges because you guys have genuinely been shocking us lately. And it's because you have been shocking us and surprising us so pleasantly that I've come up with something a little bit more challenging. Just to just to keep it going, I would like just to keep them on tenterhooks for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to mention some of the ones from the last Forgecast challenge were actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 scraps that people were using to make really cool stuff mm-hmm. was really interesting. There was one that was like a completely malformed offcut of Damascus that I honestly would have looked at and said, "There's no way I'll ever get that to work again." And the person managed to forge a fully functional Viking flint striker from it. Nice. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe that you actually pulled that off. <laughs> I even liked the flower. The flower was nice. Yeah. Who did but that there was again? some Old Buzzard Forge. Yeah. There were some really good ones um, in, in that lot. Even uh, Mr. Largan got in on it. Yep, yep, saw that. Got some, made um, some rings. And really, I hope that they learned something about themselves from it, because that was the point of this. It was to highlight to you guys just how your skill set that you have as a smith can go towards making beautiful things out of literal trash. Yes, indeed. The, um, my One of my personal favorites was, um, uh, I think... It was Rootin' Tootin' Ready for Shootin's jewelry set. Yeah, um, out of old coins. Old coins that what the original, like, coins were mangled. Like, he'd just been yeah. scrounging around the floor to find these old coins that looked like they'd been there be- since before he got there. And he cleaned them up beautifully yep. and turned them into functional Mokimagane and then made jewelry out of them. It was just phenomenal. Like, that set, you could, you could get proper money for that. Like, oh yeah, like folding money for that. Yeah, 
I really, I really liked the ladle forged out of the leg of a uh, of the um, post vice. Yeah, yeah. From Joel S. Joel does actually surprise us quite often, though. He does. He does some really good stuff. I would be surprised if I wasn't surprised by Joel. And of course, we have to mention the first person to really come out with it um, was the mushroom keychain out of an old hammer. Yeah, I, I, it was a, um, a welder's chipping hammer, hammer. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, chip, chipping mallet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Steve Sampson got involved as well. Little Damascus bracelet. Yeah, but he he sent me the photo of the original piece. He's like, "Is that make enough for you?" I'm like, "Holy <laughs> was, crap, dude! If like you make burned. something out of that, <laughs> <laughs> it was burned Damascus. It was like covered in borax scale and all kinds yeah, of nasty and, and it shaped up really nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, so. I'm I'm super impressed with all you guys. Honestly, uh, thank you so much for taking time out to make some uh, make some awesome stuff. Red Snake actually provided proof that he sold the bottle opener he made. Oh, did he? Where did he? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, it's the last photo in the in the photo set that he oh, made. Yeah. He got twenty bucks for it. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> slick. But yeah, no, thank you guys so much. It, it's because of this kind of engagement that we, we continue to do this and we continue to love it. Um, and and I'm, I'm always happy to see another hashtag Forgecast Challenge uh, post pop up in my feed. Because I follow the hashtag and you can too if you want to. Yeah. Um, so that you can see what people are getting up to. By the way, it's- big shout out to the extremely late entry from Jim the Sharkman with his um, <laughs> Forgecast Challenge chopsticks. Um, they defy descript- verbal description. You need to go over to his Instagram page. It's all one word, Jim the Sharkman. You'll see what we mean. <laughs> yep, yep. Really gave me a chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, they wouldn't have counted, unfortunately, because they don't contain metal. No, they but- don't. But I like hats off. Yeah, just for creativity. <laughs> yep. Um, worth being late. But I know you're all waiting desperately to hear what the new Forgecast challenge is. Now, this is more of a challenge than I don't. I think more of a challenge than we've ever done on the show. Yeah, that's a that's a tall order. That is a tall order. So this is not for the faint of heart. But I guarantee you, it will be a fun project. And Sam, I want to see mm-hmm. you. I want to see you in on this one. No, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) All right. We want you to make a functional, emphasis on the functional, pipe hawk. Yep. We don't necessarily need you to be smoking on camera to show us that it works, but some sort of (laughs) proof that there is a connection from the end of the handle to the bowl would be great. And also, we want to see you hitting something with it. It's got to yep. it's got to actually hold together because getting that hollow handle and everything strong enough to be able to withstand actual use is important. So test your uh, tomahawk throwing, or maybe do some gratuitous slow motion bottle chops, or yeah, some, or some wood splitting, watermelon cracking uh, <laughs> with it. And if you want to smoke out of it, you can do that too. But we want to see functional proven functional pipe hawks and may the best smith win yes and remember that is sponsored if you want to win a 50 dollar otway fiddleback gift card which that's it i want to win one because otway fiddleback's wood is amazing and he's been coming up with some fire lately yes good lord 
Yeah, I want to buy everything that he's been popping up. I don't have any money. <laughs> Stop. Spend it all getting parcels out of customs. Oh, man, seriously. And buying fly presses I don't need. Yeah, that's right. Somebody buy Sam's fly press so that he can buy wood from Otway Fiddleback. Well, I sold one of them. I want to keep the other one. Oh, you did sell it, did you? Oh, it sold within like two days. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, didn't hang around for too long. Yeah, so definitely uh, if you are not already following uh, Ryan, go to Otway underscore Fiddleback. O-T-W-A-Y, Otway underscore Fiddleback on Instagram. I think he's on Facebook as well, but all of his sales happen on Instagram, so definitely jump on there. And if you would like to email us at the show, uh, you can either message us on social media or on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us at ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And if you're looking for Sam, where can they find you? You can find me at Samtown's Bladesmith on all of the usual platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, uh, Twitch, and The Kitchen Sink. Where can they find you, Alex? While they're on all of those different platforms that you're on, they can also look for me under Valhalla <laughs> Ironworks. So, maybe except, even in the kitchen sink. Maybe even in the kitchen. <laughs> I might be visiting for the day. It'd be nice. It would be nice. <laughs> we could finally meet each other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bottom of the U-Bend. <laughs> yeah, no, it's S-Traps now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 Got to get with the times. That's right. <laughs> We're mod- modern blacksmiths. Back in my day, we all had U-Bends. <laughs> and we liked it. <laughs> and we walked uphill to and from work. <laughs> get up in the morning, half an hour before we went to bed. Lick road clean with tongue. Half a handful of cold gravel. <laughs> work look- 24 hours a day at mill. And pay mill owner for permission to come to work. You were lucky to so go to work. When we got home. <laughs> <laughs> when we got home, mum and dad would kill us and dance about in our graves. Freaking hallelujah. <laughs> and if you tell the kids to today that, they won't believe you. They won't believe you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bye, guys. See ya. <laughs> Oh!